Do you know what a terminal day is? Uh, I didn't uh, until my guest today explained what it is, and it makes a ton of sense. So I think you're going to enjoy hearing the definition of what a terminal day is. And I wonder if you've ever dreamed of owning your own piece of land. That's not quite what my guest does, uh, but he does buy and sell land. And that is what helps him enjoy those terminal days. Uh, so if you're interested in hearing about how you can make land a real estate investing strategy, you should be listening to this podcast with my guest, Mark Podolsky, who's widely considered the country's most trusted and foremost authority on buying and selling raw, undeveloped land within the United States. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the REI Branded Podcast, helping you build your real estate personal buyer. If you want to stand out from the crowd, attract the right leads, right partners, and right clients every time, you're in the right place. My name is Paul Kopkutt, and each week we'll be looking to decode and uncover what makes you, the real estate business owner, brandtastic. Each episode is intended to be valuable, cut to the chase, and actionable, so you can spend less time marketing your business and still get the results you want. Thank you for listening. Now let's get to work on making you brandtastic. Well, welcome, Mark. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, it, it's an interesting thing. So I think a lot of people listening are probably more familiar with, you know, the kind of what I would term the main strategies like burr or or flipping, uh, rent to own even or lease leasehold. But tell tell the listeners a little bit about land as a real estate investing strategy. You kind of explain it a little bit. More. I certainly see it more. Uh, probably in the states as a as a kind of strategy, but uh, tell everybody what land real estate investing is. What does it mean? How does it work? Yeah, well, Paul, thanks so much for having me. So, um, first of all, if you're driving, right, you might want to pull over in case it's you know th- this gets so boring you fall asleep at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I think it's really cool. So land investing is a, a really interesting niche for me because for me, this is a one-time sale and then I get passive income every single month, but I don't have to deal with any renters, rehabs, renovations, or rodents. And because I'm not dealing with anything physical, so nothing to maintain, nothing to protect, think of like a house or you know, commercial building, it's headache-free. Like No one's calling me up at three in the morning saying, hey, Mark, my, my land's leaking. Right. So that's why I like land because I mean, you don't really know me, but you know, I'd be like the worst person to live with because I can't fix anything. And, you know, for me, the idea of, of, of fixing a home or, you know, trying to do a fix and flip and meeting contractors, I have no idea what they're doing. They could totally take advantage of me. I don't know. So I like to, I like the simplicity of, of raw land. And how does it work from a, a real estate investing strategy? So you talk about passive or I guess passive income afterwards once you've bought the piece of land. How does that work? Sure. So let's just use you as a case study. So Paul, where do you live? Uh, I live in Hamilton, Ontario. So it's about 30 miles west of Toronto. Okay. So you're just a little bit west of Toronto in Canada. And I'm yeah. going to assume that you and your wife were on vacation in the States and you went to beautiful Arizona, which is where I live. And you were looking around, like, oh my gosh, look at this 20-acre parcel, honey. This is amazing. Let's let's buy this. And that was 10 years ago. 
Well, you get back to Canada, you've never visited the property, and each year you're getting your tax bill, property tax bill from the county treasurer. Well, this year, you know, you're like, you know what? We're never going to go out to that property. I'm not going to pay the taxes. So you don't pay the taxes. So essentially, when I get the list from the county treasurer of people who back taxes, we're just people that own property. I can see your name on there and you're advertising two important things to me. Number one, you have no emotional attachment to that raw land. You're in Canada. And number two, you're distressed financially in some weird way. Because when we don't pay our property taxes, we don't value things, or we don't pay for things, we don't value them the same way. And you've paid your property taxes. As a result, county treasurer keeps sending you notices saying, Paul, if you don't pay your property taxes, no worries. We're going to auction off your property to a tax deed or a tax lien investor. So all I'm going to do is look at the comparable sales on your 10-acre parcel. And let's just use easy math. Let's say the lowest comparable sale is $10,000 for the last 12 to 18 months. All I'm going to do is divide by four. And that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So I'm going to send you an actual offer of $2,500 for your 10-acre parcel. Now you accept it because for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. In reality, three to five percent of people accept my "quote unquote" top dollar offer. So I'm going to pause here. Any questions at this point? No, nope, that seems pretty clear. Although it's quite quite surprising. <laughs> right. Okay, so so now that you've accepted the offer, I've got to go through due diligence or this in depth research. I've confirmed you still own the property. I have confirmed back taxes are only two hundred dollars. I have to confirm there's been no breaks in the chain of title. I have to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances. I want to make sure there's no restrictions or what can I do on the property? So I have this whole big checklist. I outsource it to my team in the Philippines. They're connected to an American title company and they're going to get me the plat maps, the aerial maps, satellite maps, everything I'm going to need for my new buyer. Now we're going to pretend everything checks out and I'm going to send you a check for $2,500. Now, if I'm spending more than $2,500 or actually investing more than $2,500, let's say $5,000, then I'm going to just close through uh, traditionally through an American title company. I'm not going to take the risk of self-closing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now, Paul, this is where it gets fun. I own your 10-acre parcel and I'm going to sell it in 30 days or less. And I'm going to make a cash flow like a rental home without any headaches because I have a built-in best buyer. Do you know who it is? No. The neighbors. The neighbors. <laughs> so I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity protect your privacy, protect your views, know your neighbor. Oftentimes, the neighbors will buy it. Now, if they buy it, if they pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. My buyer's list passes. I'll go to the website you may have heard of in Canada called Craigslist. It's the 10th most trafficked website in the United States. I'll go to one I know you've heard of called Meta or Facebook, uh, the buy-sell groups, the marketplace. And then I'm going to go to the lands, landmoto.com, landandfarm.com, landsofamerica.com. Landcentury.com, landflip.com, landhub.com. These are platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But the way that I'm going to sell it is where the magic happens. I'm going to make it irresistible. So all I'm going to ask for my next buyer to control this property, this 10-acre parcel that was owned by the famous Paul Copcut from REI Branded, (laughs) is all you have to do is make a $2,500 down payment. And then I'm going to make it a car payment. Let's say... $349 $349 a month, 9% interest over the next 84 months. So it's a one-time sale. I'm going to get my money out as fast as I can. I could go six to 10 months out, 
then I'm making a car payment. So now I'm getting a passive income of $349 a month, the next 84 months, and 9% interest. And again, don't have to deal with any renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And Paul, because I'm not dealing with the tenant, I'm exempt from, in America, this owner's real estate legislation called Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act. So it's a simple game. All we want to do is create enough of these land notes where our passive income now exceeds our fixed expenses. And we're working because we want to, not because we have to. I love it. And does that, uh, does that translate across the US or even into Canada? Or I mean, it's going to be slightly different, I guess, with uh, regulations and things like that, but the same principle apply. Right. But let's just be honest, right, Paul? I mean, come on. Nobody's going to wake up and think to themselves, boy, I'd like to buy some raw land today in Iowa, unless you live <laughs> in Iowa, right? right? So we're going to focus on the sunshine states, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, um, Nevada, right? Florida, California, maybe Washington, Oregon, maybe a little bit in the north, Northwest. These are fast-growing states. There is an abundance of inexpensive raw land. Now, the market won't work because I'm not going to be able to buy any, any land 25 cents a dollar in, say, San Francisco or Manhattan. I can't even get an infill lot because if I own land there, I'm going to go to the biggest, baddest land broker in town, sell it for 110 cents on the dollar. So we want to go to these rural areas an hour to three hours from the nearest city. Okay. So when you get that land or when that you pass that on, that the other person who's bought that owns that land. They can do what they like with it within building code or whatever else that they're going to do with it. So they could build on it. They may not build on it. It doesn't matter to you because you're still getting that monthly check. Is correct. that right? That's correct. Wow. And, it, and what happens if they default? What happens? Great. There? So, okay. So now every time they've made a payment, they've lowered my cost basis. So in the United States, we, call it, we use something called a land contract, which means that I own the underlying asset. So until they pay off their promissory note, then there's no deed. So there's no cost of foreclosure like there would be if you did like a deed of trust in the United States, which is more common. So if they don't make their payment, they get 30 days to cure their default. They don't cure it in 30 days. Then I keep the down payment. I keep the monthly payments. My cost base has gone lower and I resell the property. I get a new down payment. I get a new note and it extends out my return on investment. Right. Now you said earlier for people to pull over and run the risk of falling asleep. But this sounds interesting. So how did you get into land buying and selling? So I was, uh, you know, if you rewind the tape now, 20 years ago, I was a miserable, micromanaged, 45-minute commute to work and back investment banker specializing in mergers and acquisitions with private equity groups. And Paul, it got so bad for me, so bad. I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and have you be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy. He's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar at these tax deed auctions. And he's flipping them online and he's making a 300% return on his investment. And Paul, I'm looking at companies all day long, a great company, great has 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average companies, 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course, I don't believe them. 
So I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with them. I do exactly what he tells me to do. I buy 10 half-acre parcels, an average price of $300 each. I flip them online. They all sell for an average price of $1,200 each, 300%. It worked. So I took all that money, went to another auction in Arizona where I live. And again, it's 2000. There's no one in the room. I'm buying up lots, acreage for nothing. Over the next six months, I sold all that land and made over $90,000 cash. So I go to my wife. I'm like, honey, I'm going to quit my job, become a full-time land investor. And she's pregnant. So she's like, absolutely not. So I said, okay, okay. So it took about 18 months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit um, in 2001. I've been doing it full-time ever since. I've done over 6,000 transactions to date, and I love it. And is that where the, the personal brand moniker of the land geek comes from? So, so the land geek, I'm kind of a geeky guy, and I figured nobody's going to remember Mark Podolsky. So I thought, oh, land geek, that's easy. <laughs> and how, how did you go about marketing yourself and, and kind of getting known and uh, getting building your reputation and your visibility? Well, you know, I had already done so many transactions that it was really easy for me to sort of articulate what I just discussed with you. And so in the beginning, I would just teach people how to do what I do. And then as they started gaining success, then they started telling people, oh my gosh, this thing works. And then it started to snowball from there. I also uh, created a podcast called the Land Geek Podcast, which started discussing these raw land deals. And then from there, I got kind of bored with it. So I did the best passive income out of podcast. And I had guys like Grant Cardone on. And I would ask them, hey, do I have the best passive income model? And they'd say yes 90% of the time. Sometimes we'd argue. And then I got bored with that. And then I started the Art of Passive Income podcast, where now we talk land investing and I do interviews with experts like yourself. What if somebody's, I said, they're already in real estate investing and they're suddenly seeing the appeal of, of this? What are, the, what are the things that they need to keep in mind? What are the, what are the pitfalls of this strategy? I just want to stop a second and ask you about your web presence. You know that people are going to Google and check you out online if they want to do business with you. And so it's incredibly important that you have a reliable, secure hosting web service and a stable hosting plan that provides fast site speed. And if you're installing a website for the first time, a nice, easy-to-use, secure, one-click system to install WordPress. That's why I recommend and use Bluehost, which powers more than 2 million websites online and is the number one recommended hosting provider by WordPress. It's got 24-7 support, which is really good, free security certificates, and a free domain name registration. Uh, Bluehost web hosting is a powerhouse. If you'd like to get a special offer through this podcast, go to the show notes from this episode, click on the Bluehost uh, image or link, and they'll take you straight there to get a special offer. Now back to the show. Right. So that's a really good question. The most common one that we see is not doing correct county research. There's 3,007 US counties. Well, where do I start making offers? And so Let's assume that you and I are both on a beautiful lake 
in West Ontario fishing together, right? And we see, we're going out and we see there's like seven boats on this one bank and they're catching fish after fish. And then we see these two other guys, you know, way away from those other seven boats and they're not catching any other fish. And so you and I discuss, well, where should we start? What do you think? Right. Go where the seven guys are. Go where the seven guys are, even though it's counterintuitive. Like what? They're going to, you know, are we going to be able to catch any fish? No, everyone's catching fish. So we want to go where the hot markets are. So to know that is, you know, where are the other land investors? So that's the first sort of gotcha is it's counterintuitive. People think, well, I don't want to go where there are any, any other land investors. I want to go where there's no one else. Well, there's a reason there's no one there. It's not a big market. So that's the first mistake. The second mistake is they buy a piece of property and they're all excited, but they won't keep mailing and sending out offers because they want to sell that property first. So what happens is they sell the property and they've just lost six weeks of deal flow because they stopped mailing. So stopping your deal flow is akin to being a chicken company with no chicken, right? You never want to stop your deal flow. So that's the second biggest mistake. And the third biggest mistake is uh, this disease that people I see get when they start in the land business called, I got to have landitis. Never in their life do they have to own a piece of raw land. Now they have to own it. And they don't do the math. They don't look at the comparables and they just buy it and they overpay. If you can avoid, got to have landitis, avoid uh, certainly you know, having the faith that this continues to work. If I can do it, I'm no genius. It'll work for you. And then also go where there's a big market. You'll be just fine. Right. It's, it's interesting. The landitis thing is, it's a common thing in real estate, isn't it? It's the emotion. They've suddenly got emotionally connected to that deal. And they, right. they, they, have, they, they have to own it or they, they have to own that property or they have to do something. And then, as you say, that all the, all the, the figures and the, the due diligence flies out of the window and they end up with a, a goose egg or whatever it is, that, whatever the analogy is for land. I'm not sure what that might be. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other issue is you don't want to buy an environmental issue. So let's say that you're looking at property in New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Ohio. These are industrial areas where there's manufacturing. You could be buying in a Superfund site. And if you do, you could be liable for millions of dollars of cleanup. So to avoid that, you just go to epa.gov, you look up Superfund sites, and you avoid them. Hmm. You're probably, I know you have a sales background originally. uh, So you're probably very familiar with the movie Glengarry Glen Ross. A, B, C, always be closing. Or as Alec Baldwin would say, always be coppling. Right. You ever saw that? <laughs> right. Saturday Life Skit. So one of the things about land is there's always that kind of swampland in Florida type of thing. Is there that attached? Is there still that kind of attachment to part of the, the whole strategy around land or has that tended to disappear? I mean, you know, you could, it could be. I mean, you know, the question is, do I care? So there's a pig for every barn. I've done this over 6,000 times. You and I may not be the buyer, right? Like, I mean, I don't eat McDonald's and I might put my nose up to McDonald's, right? There's an old Jim Gaffigan quote where, uh, you know, he's talking to a friend and the guy mentions that he goes to McDonald's like, oh, I didn't know I was better than you, right? So, but they sell billions of hamburgers. Someone's eating at McDonald's. So 
I don't judge. Uh, as long as they can, you know, find the property and they find value in it, I don't judge. Now we also make it really easy as well because we have a 90-day additional due diligence guarantee. We have a 365-day exchange policy because the last thing we want is someone to feel stuck and that they bought a piece of land that doesn't really meet their needs. So it's a simple philosophy, happy customers guaranteed. But at the end of the day, after doing this 6,000 times, I can you know count on like both hands and you know toes how many refunds I've given. It's really, really rare. But at the end of the day, I, I would say don't be a land snob. Just because you don't like that land doesn't mean someone else wouldn't. So you buy any asset 30 cents a dollar, there's someone else on the other end of that deal. That's a good philosophy. And have you have you funded this through joint ventures or anything? Is is that a is that an avenue for people that are looking to get involved in real estate investing? But again, they don't want the toilets, tenants, and trash. They don't want the rodents or anything else. So, is that a strategy that that works for this kind of strategy? Uh, you know, because our margins averaged at three hundred to a thousand percent, I never recommend anybody take an equity partner if they need if they need capital. Take a mm-hmm. debt partner. Get as much money as you can at 2%, 5%, 10%, 12%, 16%. It really becomes irrelevant at those margins. So if you've got friends who are making 0% of their money in the bank, help them out. And then, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, we don't want to build ourselves another job. So what we teach is three, three, you know, levers, right? Other people's time, software, and other people's money is how you scale a land business. Right. You mentioned that you've got VA team in, in the Philippines. Has that been an important part of your entrepreneurship lessons and, and success, being able to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's at the end of the day, right? To scale anything, you need to have a team because otherwise you just have, you just have a job. And um, I had to have a mentor kind of help me. I remember meeting my buddy Ori at coffee. And he, this guy had sold this company for $360 million. And I'm bragging to him about how good my land business is going. And I'm going to Kinko's and I'm making plat maps and I'm talking to sellers and buyers. He's like, stop. It's like, please don't call yourself an entrepreneur. You're insulting me. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what happens if you die? What's going to happen to your family? Your so-called land business. He's like, that's not a business. That's just a good, good job, better job than you had. He's like, if you're the one doing everything, you don't have a business. So that's when I started creating systems, processes, automation to get myself out of the business so that today I work about a half hour a week in Frontier Properties. Really? Yeah. Just so so what, what do you like to do with the rest of your time? Tell, tell the us rest of the time, I, I theme my week. So Mondays and Fridays are what I call my terminal days. Um, I pretend if this is my last day on earth, how do I want to spend it? And usually it's just doing simple things. You know, I want to spend time with my friends, my family, hike, bike, work out, meditate, something like that. And at the end of the day, if I make it that through that day, I don't know what my last breath is going to be. I'm like, oh, this is a great day, right? Um, Tuesdays are my podcast days and sort of like my eight, like my focus days, right? I really want to be on on Tuesdays. Uh, Wednesdays are my cleanup days. So, you know, meetings uh, are going to be on, on Wednesdays, my team meetings. And uh, things that needs need to get done, and maybe uh, I want to learn something new. Thursday is going to be another focus day, and then Friday uh, again is another terminal day. Now 
I love podcasting. So today is pod, is, is Friday. And if, uh, I can't, if I, if I, if I can't find another day in the week to actually be interviewed, I'll actually use a Monday or Friday to do that. I am, I am totally stealing that term for 2022 terminal days. Cause I've, I've come across, uh, you may be familiar, Dan Sullivan, free focus and buffer days. Sure. He calls it, he calls it a free day, but I love terminal day. It just has that much more. I don't know. There's, there's something emotional kind of really gripping about it. Yeah. Um, what, so what are the other things that you like to do on terminal days? What are the important things to you in your life? I mean, it's really just deepening relationships. So I want to spend time with the people I love. Um, and if there's somebody I've been neglecting, you know, maybe I'll call them. And uh, so that, that's really what I like to do because at the end of our lives, right? It's really about the quality of our relationships. And tell us a little bit more about the other companies that you that you run. Because you've got Frontier Properties, which is the land. So, so Frontier's land, land piece. And then there's Land Geek, which teaches people how to buy and sell raw land. And then there's Geek Pay, which is a software company that uh, automates the back end, like the note collection of it. Um, and it's like the set it, forget it system. So geekpay.io, thelandgeek.com, and then Frontier Properties. And uh, passive income. Uh, it's a... It's a kind of holy grail for a lot of entrepreneurs, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, and it sounds like you've got you know, a system and, uh, and a process that achieves that. Again, for the, for the real estate entrepreneur that's thinking about, okay, I'd love to get to the point of passive income. And I, I think you're right. When, if you're running properties, then you're not necessarily generating passive income because you're the property manager and you're, you're the one getting the calls at three o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. Uh, what are the what are the strategies and and approaches that you recommend if people are going to start to think about okay where does passive income from within my real estate investing life right so you know you can just sort of reverse engineer it right how many notes do I need to create before I'm free right it's all about total freedom to work when you want where you want with you know like I'm never going to retire I love working right. but that being said I want to have the option to take those days off. And that passive income gives me option. So I think if you're listening to this, you want to just reverse engineer, okay, what are my fixed expenses? And then what percent of that do I want to have in passive income? So for me, I want 200% above at least of fixed expenses because it's a market. Markets go up, markets go down. If I have my passive income 200% above my fixed expenses, then I'm really sort of uh, eliminating that that big bucket of stress in our life about money. So now I've avoided financial insecurity. And I think that's, that's really what we wanted to do. For example, you could invest in the stock market. Stock market goes up, it goes down. You're constantly sort of feeling financially insecure. Um, where real estate and cash flow, uh, you avoid that. Not that real estate can't go down, but it's not nearly as volatile as a stock market. When you were running that podcast on passive in- income, was there anything you actually came came across that you thought, well, that's pretty close? And were you ever tempted to kind of look at that as a different form? Of yeah, there, there's always been a bunch of them. So, uh, you know, Scott, Todd, and I, uh, he's my co-host. We, we get what we call shiny object syndrome. <laughs> and, then, and then we, you know, we're like, oh, we should be doing this. ATM investing sounds great. And then when we started looking into it, we're like, wait a second. Uh, nothing's better than what we're doing. Literally nothing. 
Um, and I'm flexible like a yogi. If you find something, if you tell me that what's better than what I'm doing, I'd love to know. So we're like an inch wide and a mile deep. But sure, we get tempted because um, it's human nature. Like, like for whatever reason, we want to struggle as human beings. And once you get to a certain point, like you become too comfortable, like, oh, let's struggle. Let's start doing multifamily. That seems cool. Mobile home parks. That seems cool. ATM investing, right? The Burr method. How cool. And then we're like, wait a second. Let's just get better at what we're doing. If we want to struggle, like, let's just do it bigger than what we're doing. Hmm. I have some questions I, I always like to ask guests. Um, what's your favorite personal brand or brand and why? So I love the brand Tesla. And the reason being is I think they've got the best mission of any of the brands to save the planet. Love it. Okay. How about a recommended business book or podcast? So uh, one of the, my favorite business books isn't really, uh, well, it's two of them, right? I think if you use these two books in combination, it can be really, really powerful. The One Thing by Gary Keller combined with The 12-Week Year by, by, by Brian Moran. If you read both of those to, in, together, it's really powerful. So, okay, I'm interested in that because I've read both of the books, but I've never thought of combining the two. What's the, what's the kind of key takeaway for you of combining the two? Where does that? Well, when you, when, you know, so the one thing is, is looking at ways to save, your, save you time. Like what's the one thing that I can do to eliminate all these other things? And then the 12-week year brings a certain intensity to you and the team because we set these annual goals, right? And we all crush it maybe November, December because we're trying to hit that annual goal. Well, if we compress it, and every day is a week, and every week is a year, a 12-week year, then we're hitting these 12-week year goals, um, and we're accelerating in, at, at a much faster rate. And so it forces you to think in a, in a, in a different way, sort of a, in a Dan Sullivan type way, you know, mm -hmm. because now it's not, uh, how are we going to do this? It's who's going to do this who? to get us right. to, uh, to achieve our goals. Right. Who, not how. Right. Okay. Right. Um, current level or uh, a current uh, tool or resource that you're enjoying using? So I'm really geeky and uh, I love automation. So I'm probably in Zapier every day, Z A P I E R.com. I love that. Um, but a new tool I got as a gift is really cool. It's uh, remarkable. Have you seen the remarkable too? Oh, I've seen the ads for these and, and, What's the and I I I'm you know I haven't written in so long, so this morning it was my first morning of doing morning pages, and writing and uh, it was really enjoyable. There's something really magical about feeling pencil to paper or pen to paper, even though it, it feels like you're writing. It doesn't feel like you're writing on class. Um, it feels like you're writing on a piece of paper, and uh, you know when you have that thought and it goes from your your mind to your hand, and then you watch your hand draw it, it's, it's really kind of special. And, and then, of course, if people aren't familiar, that goes then straight to a digital version, doesn't it? That's the beauty. You can, yeah, yeah the absolutely. Remarkable. Yeah, you know, it can take your handwriting, convert it to text. You can upload it to the cloud. Um, and it's just, it's just what it does, it does really well. And then, so, for example, if I'm, taking, if I'm at a conference, I'm taking notes, I'm not going to be distracted by my laptop and checking email or going online. I've just got this, you know, 
little notebook. Okay, I think you've just answered a question for me because when I looked at the remarkable, that was the one thing I noticed. It wasn't, it didn't have that option to do other things. And I thought, okay, so that kind of is a, a negative if you compare that to say an iPad. But maybe it's a purposeful thing to stop people from being distracted. Okay, for me, it, yeah, absolutely, right. yeah. And do you have a favorite quote? My favorite quote is from Zig Ziglar: "If you'll do." For the next three to five years, what other people won't do, you'll be able to do it for the rest of your life what other people can't do. Love it. Okay, great. So how can people get hold of you? I think you did mention earlier in the, in the podcast, but let's, let's remind people what, how they can get hold of you, where they can find you. to find Yeah, out I think, the, about I think the, the best place to start is thelandgeek.com. And if you're interested in doing the model, I think the best way to learn is by doing. So for your listeners, I've got a free course thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals. They can go and they can actually learn how to buy wholesale and then sell retail, double their money, 30 days or less. So once they get proof of concept, then maybe they'll go a little bit deeper into the model. Okay. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Any final words that you'd like to share with people if they're thinking about this as a strategy or um, sitting on a piece of land and don't know what to do with it? What's... uh, I mean, I just think it's it's really important to avoid solo economic dependency, which means if you're personally not working, you're not making any money because we don't scale. So it's something that you know once you sort of understand this concept, uh, life is just so much better when you can wake up and you don't have to do anything because all your needs are taken care of. And that you've raised a good point because I'm thinking of you know high-end service professionals in particular, doctors, lawyers, accountants are all in that kind of mix, aren't they? And, and I right. guess to an extent, investment banking is the same, yeah, the same thing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can be a high income earner, but you have to keep doing it. So if you're a dentist, your hands aren't in somebody's mouth, you're not gener- generating any revenue. As an investment banker, if I'm not on the phone doing deals or analyzing deals, I'm not going to get paid. So you could even argue what we're doing right now. If we're not doing this, this is a big piece of our marketing, right? It doesn't scale. We can't do a thousand podcasts. But what's nice about the podcast is it's a one-time creation and then it does scale. We can repurpose it. It lives on forever. So we can have the opportunity to create a hundred of these with a lot of really good information and then quit. So I don't think technically there's anything really passive. Even if you inherit a billion dollars, you still have to actively invest it. But even at the end of the day, it's if you can just find something that's a one-time creation and it scales and then it can bring you that passive income, it's great. Great. Wonderful. Great advice, Mark. I appreciate you joining us today and uh, have yourself a brandtastic day. Thanks, Paul. You too. Well, what did you think? Was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business and real estate personal brand? So what's stopping you? Get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate personal brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free real estate personal brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. 
Thank you for listening and have yourself a brandtastic day.